Welcome to What Christians Should Know, how you can apply biblical principles to everyday life. Good day to all. My name is Dr. Elijah Sadafel, and welcome to What Christians Should Know, the podcast. This is volume zero, where we see crucial answers to critical questions about belief. This episode will provide a crucial answer to the question, can I have faith and still have doubts? Before we begin, as always, I invite all my listeners to please visit wcsk.org. There you will find a host of valuable resources that empowers you to know what you believe and why you believe it. Now let's get started. So let's start by taking a look at what the Bible says about trusting in God and having doubts. All of these verses will be taken from the ESV. So James 1, 5-8 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Jude one twenty two says, And have mercy on those who doubt. In Matthew 14.31 it says, Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of Peter, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? From these verses I get the overall impression that faith and doubt stand in contrast to one another, but they still stand side by side. Even more, experience informs the honest Christian that from time to time doubt is a very real component of their walk with God. As it is commonly said, if bravery means persisting in the midst of fear, then faith means persisting in the midst of doubt. What I hope to clarify in this lesson is that yes, you can have faith and still have doubts, but it is our faith that motivates us to strive forward in pursuit of a deeper, closer relationship with Jesus. As we mature in our walk with Christ, faith increases and doubt fades. Ultimately, Doubt can actually act as an effective servant of truth when it fiercely wrestles and conquers those things that are appropriately doubtful. So as I have talked about in podcast episode 2.1, faith means believing in a trustworthy God. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, as it says in Hebrews 11.1. Faith is the hallmark of a believer. In a general, secular sense, Faith simply refers to having confidence or trust in something. And what is doubt? The New Oxford American Dictionary refers to it as a feeling of uncertainty or lack of conviction. Doubt is the hallmark of a skeptic. I'm going to dissect the term doubt because how it is used in modern language is often misleading. So as defined, doubt refers to a temporary feeling of not being sure and a lack of conviction but not the absence of conviction. What does this mean? That doubt does not equal unbelief. And if doubt does not equal unbelief, it is not the opposite of faith. Oz Guinness makes this distinction very clear as he wrote many, many years ago in Table Talk magazine. He writes, Contrary to widespread misunderstanding, doubt is not the same as unbelief, so it is not the opposite of faith. Rather, it is a state of mind in suspension between faith and unbelief. To believe is to be in one mind about accepting something as true. To disbelieve is to be in one mind about rejecting it. And to doubt is to waver somewhere in between the two 
and thus to be in two minds. This important distinction uncovers a major misconception of doubt. The idea that a believer betrays faith and surrenders to unbelief by doubting. Doubt therefore represents an internal war where the person is divided against themselves. One side says, I am sure, while the other side asks, are you really sure that you're sure? In the battlefield of the mind, doubt is the force that swings the pendulum between belief and unbelief. This interpretation of having a twofold mind is validated by the Greek words for doubt found in the New Testament. For example, the word for doubt in Jude one twenty two is diakrino, which means to separate thoroughly, to withdraw from, to learn by discrimination, to waver. This informs us of the process of doubt, something dynamic that persuades someone to learn and discern what it is they truly believe, which enables a person to stop the pendulum and stand comfortably in what they are convicted of. So while doubt is unsure, it is also investigatory and directs a person towards the assurance of belief. Now let's also be clear, doubt isn't something to be taken lightly. It's not a casual entity to be embraced because the world is full of people who doubt for the sake of doubting and who in the end don't believe in anything but doubt. Our walk of faith has eternal ramifications and who we believe in is final and permanent. Doubt is very, very serious, but it is not final. It is a transition. So this realistic view of doubt also challenges two schools of thought about skepticism. On the one hand, it tells us that we can't be too soft on doubt and embrace ambiguity. This leads to believers who constantly swing on a pendulum and waver between opinions. On the other hand, it tells us that we can't ignore the reality of doubt and try to demonize people who have honest issues with doubt. If this path is followed, the doubt is ignored, and the person has no choice but to stuff the doubt, deep doubt inside where it can grow. This drives them away from the church and from Christ. The English definition of doubt emphasizes a feeling of uncertainty. Therefore, doubt carries with it a strong emotional component. This emotionality is therefore susceptible to circumstances and situations. This also helps to explain why doubt is more prevalent at night. Doubt does not need to be a permanent condition, but rather a response to changing tides in life. Doubt is also learned. After all, a person can only doubt if they have learned certain things that draw them away from one belief to another. This means that as a person develops increasing faith in one conviction, their doubt and alternatives increase. Seen in this perspective, doubt is not only compatible with faith, but is a necessary consequence of it. Generally speaking, if a person doubts A, then they will have faith in B. Doubt by itself has no value because it is dependent and derivative. Doubt only has value as it points to an alternative, positive belief. So, as Timothy Keller writes in The Reason for God, every doubt, therefore, is based on a leap of faith. So if you have faith in God, you tend to doubt that the universe just happened without a cause. If you are an atheist, you have faith in Darwinism and tend to doubt that God is the creator of the universe. If you are a pacifist, you have faith in nonviolence and tend to doubt the efficacy of war. So when we use this frame of thinking and apply it to faith in God, a reasonable way to approach the issue of doubt is to ask what a person's alternatives are. That is, if they don't have faith in God, what do they have faith in and why? Ultimately, eternity matters more than the present, 
and an inescapable certainty of life is that all people must die. If a person's alternative does not provide a reliable promise of eternity, backed up by someone who has conquered death, perhaps it is time to begin doubting one's doubts. In the context of the Christian faith and the life of the church, the goal is always to build up others and edify people. So, a person who has doubts isn't a target to be vanquished, but rather someone to be compassionately engaged. Rejecting the person pushes them away from God while the doubt remains intact, and it may even swell due to the adverse response. Alternatively, engaging the doubt and addressing the person's concerns can diminish skepticism and draw the individual closer to Christ. As an example, take the famous incident of doubting Thomas in John 20, verses 24 to 29. There, Thomas refused to believe that Jesus rose from the dead unless he saw the nail marks in Christ's wrists and put his finger where the nails pierced Jesus' flesh. What did Jesus do? He certainly did not shun Thomas, but actually showed Thomas proof and allowed him to investigate his crucified body. It is then that Jesus said, Do not be unbelieving, but believing. What was Thomas's response? He said, My Lord and my God. Jesus, who graciously responded to Thomas and his doubts with future-oriented consideration, transformed doubting Thomas into believing Thomas. A similar instance happens in Mark 9.24 when a father admits that he has belief mixed up with unbelief and he asks Jesus to help him. Christ responds by blessing the man and healing his son. What is clearly certain is that any Christian who has doubt should begin to seek clarity and meaningful answers from resources that proclaim sound Christian doctrine and intelligent faith. When believers do this, they should pursue an answer that gives them peace and cures their restlessness. I advise everyone to seek a Christian teacher who is reliable and trustworthy. If you are sick, do not look for a trustworthy doctor. If you have a legal problem, do not look for a good lawyer. If you have a doubt problem, why look for anyone other than the author and finisher of our faith, as it says in Hebrews 12.2. What is also certain is that if you have doubts, the last thing you should do is Google your question or watch a YouTube video from the skeptic with this week's most popular video. Remember, doubt by itself has no value unless it directs you to an alternative belief. It has always mesmerized me that people doubt Christ and then find quote-unquote solace in the idea that nothing produced everything, people have no causal purpose, and the uncertainty of a person's eternal destiny is brushed off with a casual shrug of the shoulders. True, a person doesn't necessarily need God to take life by the horns and be quote-unquote happy, but they also do not need skepticism to do that either. So when I first began seriously thinking about faith and doubt, one of the first Bible stories that came to mind was Matthew 14 verses 22 to 33. In this well-known story, Peter and the disciples went ahead of Jesus and were traveling by boat across the lake. In the middle of the night, a storm struck and Jesus approached the boat walking on water. The text says that all the disciples saw Christ and thought he was a ghost, and so they cried out in fear. It is then that Jesus says, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. This is what happens next in verses 28 to 33. The text says, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. 
Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind stopped, and those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, You certainly are God's son. There were disciples, plural, in the boat, yet only Peter stepped out and walked toward Christ. And in his pursuit of Jesus, he saw the wind and got scared. When Peter fell into the water, he calls Jesus Lord and asked Christ to save him. Jesus graciously extends his hand and picks Peter up and tells him, You have little faith, why did you doubt? What does this tell us? That in Peter's case, he had a little bit of faith that coexisted with doubt. And preachers like to beat Peter up in the story, yet they often neglect to mention the other disciples who were crippled with fear and never got out of the boat in the first place. Even more, what is the most reassuring about the story is that even when we step out in faith with doubts, it is Jesus, God's word made flesh, that will pick us up when we stumble. Less Jesus, we drown in the waters of doubt. The astute Bible student will now say, wait a minute, what about Matthew 21, 18-22, when Jesus commands a fig tree, it withers, and then he says to his disciples, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, it will happen. I would reply that the acute emphasis in this verse is not on doubt, but on faith. So it is the liberty from doubt that emerges from confidence in the power of God in a request made that aligns with God's will. To validate this understanding, consider Christ's words in Matthew 17.20 that highlight the same principle. The text there says, Because of the littleness of your faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. So in conclusion, the fact is that an overwhelming majority of Americans, more than 80%, believe in God, and Europe is actually becoming more religious. If anyone tells you that religion is on the decline across the globe, this is a statement to be immediately doubted. Why? The fact is, excluding Buddhism, all major religions are projected to grow in number over the next 40 years, and Islam, by the way, is growing the fastest, while the number of people who are unaffiliated with religion will make up a declining share of the global population. And if anyone is curious, the written lesson on WCSK.org includes footnotes, which provides references to all of the studies that validate the statements I just made on the growth of religion worldwide. So there is steady growth of Christianity across the globe with explosive growth in Africa, Asia, and Latin America. So scientific advancements of the modern world have not caused secularization or the diminishing need for religion. However, adjacent to these phenomenon is a reality that in America, doubt and skepticism are on the rise, marked by increases in those who do not go to church and those who identify themselves as nuns or having no religious preference. Cognizant of these realities, a wise path to chart is not to shun the skeptical, but to embrace them and reconcile the reservations they have with God, the Bible, and the Christian faith. 
Doubt is like a fortress that defends against gullibility and a soldier that wields a sword that cuts away the counterfeit from the truth. Doubt actually signals the start of a search for that assured truth so that we may begin building upon what is clear in our minds. The danger in not having an honest conversation about doubt is that it will dissuade the development of vetted, mature beliefs. After all, someone who has never taken the time to seek meaningful answers may find themselves crippled at the hands of a staunch skeptic or may quickly flee away from God in the midst of trouble. The goal is always maturity in Christ, and intelligent faith provides the clarity and meaningful answers that people need to navigate through the rough patches in their walk with God. George MacDonald once said that, Doubts are the messengers of the living one to the honest. At some point in our Christian walk, we will all be plagued by doubt. Where do we go when we need comfort for our hearts and clarity for our minds? It is absolutely critical that we emerge ourselves in God's timeless, unchanging, and certain word, which is the light that guides us in the darkness. God's inspired word is beneficial to us at all times in our life. As 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. The reassuring news is that because God is sovereign, our doubts will never change who he is, what he has already done for us in Christ, or the fact that all things, even our doubts, come together for the good of his children. We may doubt, but God is the rock upon which we stand. Before the foundation of the world, he knew all about us, and yet he still chose us, aware of all the doubts we would have. As we look to the Lord for assurance, he promises never to abandon us. Strong faith endures in the good times and the bad, and any honest Christian should not only anticipate the reality of doubt, but also have a plan on how to address that doubt when it appears. Legitimate, strong, biblical faith past the tests of doubts of life, and in the end, through Christ, it shall reign victorious and emerge stronger, more vigorous, and more confident than it was before. In the interest of questions and doubt, if anyone has questions, concerns, or uncertainties about their walk with God, the Bible, or anything about religion in general, know that you have a reliable and trustworthy source for clarity and meaningful answers. Always feel free to email us at info at wcsk.org. Again, that's info at wcsk.org. I'll see you next time. Take care and God bless. Thank you for listening to What Christians Should Know. For more valuable content, please visit us at chesadoffel.com. For general inquiries, email us at info at wcsk.org.